gosh, it's really good to be with you. Happy Easter. I've been over in the sanctuary. We have, we're having service over there too. And um, it's pretty wild and wonderful to have people in different parts of the building as we gather really as one community. This is the 16th Easter that I have celebrated uh, with you here at Broadway. And no, that wasn't, no, thank you. No, no, that was, was not the point of applause. I was just saying, uh, you know, really, I want to kind of give you applause because I just am so grateful for you because, uh, because of the way in which we put the, the, the announcement of Easter into practice in a real community. And that's what I really I want to talk to you about, how the hope that we talk about, the hope of the announcement of the resurrection finds its roots and its legs, uh, its embodiment in a people, which is how the story always goes. From the very first Easter until this very moment, uh, the church has gathered to hear the story. And then to say, so, so what? What, what? What changes now? And what we discover is the change happens first in us, in a, in a group of people who have decided to encounter the world a certain way, where some will encounter the world out of fear. And we all know that fear can motivate a lot of folks. It can get a, it can get a lot done. And, and where some will say the, the claim, of the way to look at history is through a kind of a defensive stance. Like we need to kind of react in some way. But the church has claimed another approach and must claim another approach. And it is completely, and once it's completely ridiculous to say, you know what, we may not see the results. We may not know how it all plays out. We may not even understand how it works, but we are going to hold out hope and act as if we know how the story ends. And that's the power of the resurrection, I think. As we ask the question, where's the hope? The answer is, it's, it's in us. And that it matters if, 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 we, if we claim it. That is a, a bit of a challenge, uh, let's just be honest, and we, as we look at the state of the world. And it got me thinking about how all the swirl of, of life and all the reasons why we kind of look at the world and go, oh, I don't know. And having been in a community with you for 16 years and watching life play out, it's not always easy. It's, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's high. Sometimes it's low. There's not a month that goes by that we don't stand in this building uh, and do a funeral and claim the power of the resurrection over someone's life and say, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? I got to thinking about uh, 15 years ago, we, um, we, the church staff all loaded up in the church van it was like a, it's a 15 passenger van. And then right after that, we uh, discovered that um, the liability on those things is terrible and we sold it. Uh, in fact, that if, the, if, the, if you look at one of them wrong, they just flop over, right? Uh, but before, before then, the church staff, which was uh, small enough at the time to get in the van, drove around town and we just went around and prayed in different parts of our community. And one of those places, the first time I had been there was in the west end of our city at the end of 11th Street. And I was there again yesterday as a community of people from our church and from our, the area, rich people, poor people, brown, white, black, all, a mix of people that just kind of doesn't happen anywhere happened. And it's been happening for years. 
as the foundry has grown, as we have served children in the West End, as there has been this partnership and this hope that we have lived out, and as we're changing kids' lives. I was reminded, I, I just was like, I kind of went back. I remembered that the church van parked out in the parking lot, and, and somebody said, okay, we're going to pray here. Now you tell me, does it matter that we hold out hope? It may seem ridiculous and we may not always see the results, but then sometimes some, something transformative happens. And if anything out of today, I hope that you will walk into tomorrow with that determination, that you may not see the results and it may not always make sense and you may not ever understand how it, how it, how it works, but it does matter that we hold out hope. You know, people of my generation sometimes ask, what was your very first CD? Well, that course dates me, right? Because some of you are saying, well, what was my first, you know, LP, right? Some, some of you are saying, my, what was my first eight track? How many of you got there? When you got in charge of music, you got it as an eight track. I'm just curious. We had quite a few at the eight o'clock. Yeah, so God bless y'all. And then <laughs> the I remember my uncle having one. I was like, how does this thing work? I never did figure out how it worked. And then some of us uh, had the cassette tape, right? And a pencil. My, I remember my friend saying to me, uh, turning to me in band, uh, marching band one day and saying, you know, these CDs, that really is a lot better. Um, and then some of you got it as an iPod and some of you got it as a streaming service and some of you are saying, what is a CD? And that's, you know, God love you. My first CD probably, probably is sort of the destiny that brings us here because my second CD, I think, um, one of my first ones actually was a Journey album, which I shared just mostly so you'll think I'm cooler than I am. Uh, I, and um, my second CD was um, sort of negates that because I think it was a compilation of Whitney Houston's greatest hits. <laughs> but my first CD was a Christian album by Stephen Curtis Chapman. And Christmas of 1994, I got a CD player, one of those honking, you know, big, big, big guys. And, um, and my aunt said, okay, well, if you're getting a CD player, my mom had said, then like, let's get you CDs. And my first, so my very first CD was Heaven in the Real World by Stephen Curtis Chapman, which begins, uh, the whole album begins in, in the question that we ask today, in the swirl of all the mix of life and all the reasons not to hope. And I just wanted to share it with you. A report out today says that the number of gang members have increased 65% in the past Violence year. Once again today in Northern summer. Ireland with the in other news, the drug enforcement agency seized 20 kilos of pure cocaine. Where is the hope? Where is the hope? I meet millions who tell me that they feel demoralized by the decay around us. Where is the hope? Where is the hope? Where is the hope? that each of us have is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or, or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. And that's where our hope is in this country. That's where our hope is in life. I pulled that whole album up on our Apple streaming service yesterday, just played through it. Uh, and I would recommend it's it's a it's a it's a really good one. Um, but I I played that part because it answers the question uh, in, in a in a way that's really important. Where is the hope? 
Well, for better or for worse, it's, it's you. It's us. And for all our imperfections and for all of our issues and for all of our questions, for all of our not really understanding how this works, what it comes down to is, is the hope of the resurrection embodied in a people that's going to live like it's true? Act like it's true. Engage the world with this attitude. You know, those questions around how all this works were in the early church. And so that's why we shared today the two readings, and Emma did such a beautiful job, um, of the, the resurrection account that is so personal, call in Mary's name, which is about a community of people that hear the news and then say, okay, what do we do with this? And then 1 Corinthians 15, years later, the church still asking tons of questions, like how does this work? What happens to your body if you're resurrected? And the scripture's like, oh, Paul says, that's kind of silly, but there is something to people who are perishable being planted and then raised to imperishability. This is the way this works. People who, who live their lives in human frailty and then who are raised to spiritual glory, and, and, and it's, it's mysterious, but that's that's how this thing works. And so there's like 57 verses in 1 Corinthians 15, it was too long to read, about how all of this plays out, Paul's reflections on it. But I want to call us back to the last part of that, the 58th verse of that huge, uh, huge passage, because I think it kind of, it, it tells you what you need to know about Monday, having sat in church on Easter Sunday, and it's this, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, and I wouldn't maybe skip over that part because you see this is couched in a community, a hope lived out in people who redefine their relationships with one another. This is not some disembodied thing. This is lived out in people who are in it together. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm knowing full well that there's some reason right now while, why many of us are ready to give up, give in, or give out. Stand firm. In fact, it says be immovable. In fact, more than that, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Be all in. Just don't count the cost. Go for it. Because you know, and that really means because you've seen, because, because of what's been revealed, because you know, this last part, that you don't labor in vain. Different translations will say, it's not for nothing. What changes if we know that evil loses? Well, we're undeterred by adversity. We're, we're working enthusiastically and we hold out hope in history. Even when we don't see the results. Of course, that's written because we'll be tempted to give up before we see that hope fulfilled will want to do big things and be kind of stuck in the day-to-day and the ordinary. It will look mundane. It will not look like it matters. It will seem like at times and maybe most of the time that what we're doing is for nothing. And what we mean by resurrection hope is that even though it feels that way and even though it looks like that and even though there will be people who will say we should be fearful and that we should be defensive, we're going to say, no, we're going to do it this way. We're going to be hopeful people. 
and we're, it's going to free us up to just do our part, to do the little thing, to serve, to love, to make sacrifices, to pay a price, to get knocked down and then get back up again, to, to, to kind of look at yourself and say, man, I, I just do not have it together. I'm going to keep on going. Knowing that it's not, not in vain. In fact, every little act of love matters. That's all we got. But the resurrection says it's enough. This story is that it's enough, that this is a story of crosses, and that's why it looks so terrible so much of the time, but it is also a story of hope. I thought of this story on Tuesday, July 9th, 1737, 26-year-old Moravian missionary George Smith arrived on the shores of Cape Town, South Africa, he moved to an area called Babian's Kloof, which means Valley of Baboons, sort of an unassuming place, and found a displaced native people there and began to serve among the poorest of the poor. Taught them to read and write, taught them agricultural practices, and built a spiritual community there. Uh, he built a home and planted a pear tree in the, new, in the new garden, and he prepared to spend his life there serving in South Africa. But uh, as things began to develop, after about five years, he started baptizing people. And the hitch in the giddy-up, so to speak, was that he was not technically allowed by the church to do that and got sideways with his, his sending body. And after six years, they canceled his work and told him to go home. And George Smith spent the rest of his life thinking that that experience was a complete and utter failure. He never returned to South Africa. He died away from that work. He had only been there five years. But you know, this is a story of resurrection hope, right? So, and, and the whole point is that, it, that what we do matters and that it's not in vain. And this is a story of that. So 50 years later, a, a second generation of Moravian missionaries returned to the Valley of baboons to, re, to find the ruin of, his, of George Smith's house. But what remained was the pear tree. In fact, the pear tree had been growing for 50 years and now was, as we technically say, ginormous. Not only that, it was a metaphor and a point of hope that had been carried on for 50 years because just those few people that he had baptized had been gathering as the church and had now passed that on to second and third generation people in the church, what they discovered was a really large pear tree and a very vibrant, though small, Christian community held together by a lady named after the first recipient of the resurrection message, Mary Magdalene. Magdalena had been gathering people underneath the pear tree for 50 years. And her tool was the New Testament that George Schmidt had given her. And she pulled out that worn out Bible and handed it to a second generation Christian, native Christian, and they read the story of Jesus together. So those missionaries picked up the work, developing a self-sufficient, literate agricultural community with a strong spiritual life, it became the first teachers, a place of the first teacher's college in South Africa. And the governor of the region in 1806 renamed the Valley of Baboons to capture what had happened there, to speak to the transformation 
and he uh, named it Gnadenol, which means Valley of Grace, which is a cool story. Uh, but the story continued on uh, almost 200 years later when apartheid ended in South Africa. When Nelson Mandela was elected the first black president, one of the first things he did was to rename the official residence of the presidential home in South Africa. And you want to know what he called it? Gnadenol, Valley of Grace, claiming this story not just for a group of people, but now for a whole nation. Do you think it matters that a few people hold out hope and act according to it? This is resurrection hope. Where is the hope? It is in us. And tomorrow you will go back to work or school or in some way be asked, what changes now that evil loses? And you get to decide. Where is the hope? It's nowhere unless it is in you and it is in me. So let me simply remind you that it, it's not for nothing. And I don't know how that message hits, where you need to hear it. But we're going to keep telling that story together and we're going to keep seeing how it plays out. Desmond Tutu is one of my heroes. So I know a little bit about South Africa, just a little bit. And um, so uh, Tutu, a spiritual leader in that community, and in that nation, spoke these words of hope over the valley of grace that was South Africa. And today, as I close, I speak them over our valleys as well. All over this magnificent world, God calls us a community, a people of hope, to extend a kingdom of shalom, peace, wholeness, justice, goodness, compassion, caring, sharing, the whole list of things that are not flashy but important, a community of laughter, a community of joy, a community of reconciliation, community of hope. Under the, the promise that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, absolutely nothing. And as we share God's love with each other, with our brothers and sisters, the resurrection hope means that there is no tyrant that can resist us. There is no oppression that cannot be ended. There is no hunger that cannot be fed. There is no wound that cannot be healed, no hatred that cannot be turned into love, no dream that cannot be fulfilled. Where is the hope? It's in us. Let's pray. God, I pray for us as a community, the people of Broadway, that we would continue to find ourselves in vans, in metaphorical vans, driving around town, praying prayers and hoping hopes. I pray for us who will go to work tomorrow and will make decisions, who will have choices, who will shape the valleys of our community. I pray for those individuals who are struggling just to keep putting one foot in front of another. And I pray for all of us who struggle to have hope and wonder whether it's all in vain. In these moments together, we choose to act, to live, as if it does matter. And we pledge ourselves to offering up our small part in the story of Jesus, continuing to meet under the tree, so to speak, until he comes again. And we pray this in his name. Amen. We're going to share in Holy Communion today. And uh, as we come, we live into this story.
This is our chance to tell the whole story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so as we remember, we gathered uh, some of us on Thursday to tell this story. At the Last Supper, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and broke it. And um, taking on the story of the Passover, the salvation story of the Old Testament, he carries that story of salvation and hope into the, the future by offering himself and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we do. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, again, giving thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. And so we do. And we do this to live into the story and to claim it as our own, a story of a broken body that was then made into the very body of Christ that is us, uh, a savior who lived and died knowing that it mattered and then offering us the same hope in his, not only his life, not only his death, but also his resurrection. And so as we come, we're going to invite you to, to uh, basically you'll come out the right side of your section and then you'll return your left. You'll come and you'll have your hands open and you'll receive the bread and then you take that bread and dip it into the cup there at the station that's in front of you and then go back to your seat. You can also stay, uh, come to the front. There'll be people anointing with oil, which is a symbol of God's healing, uh, some some maybe way to mark your decision today to live as someone with hope over a specific situation, perhaps, or over your life more, in, a, in a more holistic way. And uh, so if you come to us for oil, there's no magic in that, but we will make the sign of the cross on your forehead and say, I anoint you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and in resurrection hope today, and claim that over something specific to give this legs if you want to do that. If you need gluten-free elements, they'll be here at the front. So as you come down the line, just come to the very front here at the table and receive those elements and then um, just spend time in worship. Let's uh, pray as we prepare and as those who are coming to serve come. God, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and that, that we would receive that spirit as the community of Christ in this place. And that as we tell this story and reenact it in our very bodies, that the hope of the resurrection might find its roots planted in us. Ordinary people who have been sown in perishability, who will also be raised imperishable. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lived and acted in the way that draws us into a story of hope. Trusting you completely, we offer ourselves in the same way that we might meet him here, that we might meet the resurrected Lord at the table that he set. It's in his name that we pray.